Welcome to the Global Connection, a Tel Aviv University podcast. Journey with us as we discover how TAU's academic community and friends are engaging with and helping to shape this ever-changing world. Hello, welcome to the Global Connection. I'm your host, Dr. Anna Sajeki. And I am thrilled today to have joining me Lawrence Kazanoff, a legend of Hollywood film production. Now the chairman and chief executive officer of Threshold Entertainment Group, Larry started his career at Vestron Pictures, where one of his earliest moves at the tender age of 25 was taking a chance on Oliver Stone and his screenplay for Platoon, which went on to win the Oscar for Best Picture. From there, he's had a hand in everything from Dirty Dancing to Terminator 2 to all the Mortal Kombat movies to True Lies, and the list goes on. So Larry happens to be in Tel Aviv at the moment to speak at the Tel Aviv International Student Film Festival, which is the largest student film festival in the world and entirely organized by students of TAU. It is an absolute honor to have you here, Larry. Thank you. Shalom. 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 Um, So part of the reason you're here, I think, is to inspire the next generation of filmmakers and film producers. Um, So with that in mind, I thought I'd take you back uh, briefly to your early days at Bestron Pictures. (laughs) Okay. So how, at 25, did you end up helping to greenlight Platoon? How did that come about? So I wanted to be a movie producer since I was a little kid. And I got incredibly lucky and after graduate school, got a great job at Vestron, which was a new company in those days, riding the wave of the DVD boom, the home video boom. So whereas today we're all used to the streaming boom and streamers didn't exist a few years ago and now they do and they need a product. In those days, DVDs didn't exist. And then all of a sudden video stores get built all over the world and they have empty shelves and they need a product. So my boss was a great, entrepreneur who went with his gut and he said, you know, I have fire in my belly and I got hired and very soon my job was to be head of production and make 80 movies a year, eight zero movies a year at the age of 25. And we made low budget horror movies and action movies and things like that. And then the script for Platoon came along and I just thought it was great. And I really liked Oliver. We had done another movie with him and I thought the time was right and I wanted to make it. But my boss said, this isn't the kind of thing we do. This isn't a low budget horror movie with some famous guy in it you're crazy. And I said, but I I argued. And he finally said, well, you're the head of production. It's your decision, but there's always a but. You have to bet your job. If it fails, you're fired. What are you gonna do? And I couldn't believe I had to make this decision, but I thought, well, I didn't get into the film business to play it safe. So I greenlit Platoon. And when I first saw it, when they showed it to me, the final cut early one morning in Milan, I'm the only person to have giggled their entire way through this very serious movie about the Vietnam War because I went, I'm not getting fired. It's good. It's good. It's so good that it won Best Picture that year. And a few months later, I ran into the director, Oliver Stone, at a bar in New York. And we had a drink. And he said, you know, kid, I always liked you. You have a touch of the madness. And I thought, a touch of the madness? A little bit crazy. Am I crazy? Is he calling me crazy? And then it occurred to me, well, my boss was crazy to let a 25-year-old kid run an 80-picture film slate. Oliver had a touch of the madness by making a Vietnam movie and insisting on doing it a way no one had. And I had a touch of the madness by betting the best job in the world on it. And then I realized that what what innovation and creativity demand is a touch of the madness. And I think it's so important because the current of the river of life will always drag you to the middle. And if you wanna swim against that, you need creativity and innovation. And the best way to have creativity and innovation, I believe, 
is with a touch of the madness. And it's not just in your idea for your movie or whatever you're developing. It's, it's the dogged pursuit of it. It's never giving up. It's going anywhere. It's asking everything. And I think today people are scared to be really creative. They're afraid they'll say the wrong thing. They're afraid to do the wrong thing. And I want them to embrace the madness. That idea in the back of your mind, the one your parents are saying you're crazy, that's the one to go for. And in fact, I like it so much, I wrote a book called A Touch of the Madness, which is coming out in two months, because I just think that, that a touch of the madness is what we need to swim against that current of the river of life. So if you were to give one piece of advice to these, these students that are about to embark on their career, would that, would that be it? That would be it. Embrace the madness. Okay. Swim against that current all the time. Take a chance. The thing that you think is the craziest thing, do it. You have a crazy idea, say it. I'm at the point now where if I pitch an idea for something and everyone says, well, that's fantastic, that's wonderful, I almost get a little nervous. Mm -hmm. And if they say, you're crazy, this will never work, I get a little comfort. I feel that, I feel a touch of the madness, like a warm blanket enveloping me, and I go off and do it. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. that would be mm -hmm. my advice. Embrace the madness. Okay. And, and what about uh, pragmatic advice for just getting into the film industry? You know, we've, we've got a whole generation of students, they've, they've, they're finishing their, their bachelor's degree. Um, I feel like the madness might be step number two. Step number one might be getting a job, but, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, that's a kind of pragmatic way to look at it. And I'm not sure that makes sense because, you know, now it's easy to look back on, for example, you mentioned Vestron and the home video boom, but who knew that was going to work? I mean, my other offer was with, to go work at HBO in a very, very pragmatic job. Mm -hmm. And the home video boom was new and no one really knew if it was going to work. So had I been pragmatic, we wouldn't be talking right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not mm -hmm. sure that's right. Okay. I, I, think, I think you have to decide what you want to do and focus on your idea and take a chance. But the, the challenge of all this is not just the talent or the creativity behind it. It's the perseverance and the fortitude to keep moving and keep going no matter what. Ask, 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 ask. I have chapters in my book in my, in my life about just ask anybody anything. And if you don't have that, it's tough business. A lot of these businesses are tough businesses to be in. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, we always say to interns we have from film schools and things, it's one thing to say, I like this and it's fun because you're in film school and probably your parents are paying for it and it's lovely. But eventually the pragmatic part you have to do is you have to go out and figure out how to get these things made and never, ever, 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 ever give up. Mm -hmm. And if you're not willing to do that, maybe not a great career choice. Okay. Okay. And I think the backdrop to that never giving up is an industry that is always changing and evolving as well. Um, so for you, you started off really young. It was the mid-1980s. We're in 2023 now. How much have you seen the film business change during that time? And looking forward, are, are there some sort of areas that you have your eyes on in terms of trends and the way it's going? Well, those are two questions, and so I'll answer both of them. Yes, the film business is changing, but the film business always changes. So when I was starting out, there was a home video business. Today, they're streaming. But you know what else we have today? Social media. I couldn't make a short film and put it on TikTok, and if I'm lucky, 25 million people will do it. We have opportunities that never existed. There's always another way to get in, and there always will be. You can. I read a lot of film history. There's always some other way to get in, and there will be another new way to get in. I think the trend that's coming, and one of the reasons, the other reason I'm in Israel is, as I mentioned, you were scouting for a movie we're going to do all across Israel and Silk Road. I believe making global movies for a global audience 
is the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of movies now are made, and then if, let's say, a movie's made in the U.S. and does well, then a, a version is licensed to do a Bollywood version, and then a version may be licensed to a Mandarin version. I think that's going to go away. I think there should be one version full of everybody, for everybody, and it's the world. Okay. Because you and I were just talking about some of the locations I just visited in Jordan, where which were amazing. And most people in the world haven't seen them. Mm-hmm. There are so many great stories hiding mm-hmm. in plain sight. There are so many great places hiding in plain sight if we're just willing to go out and get people from all over the world involved. So I think the true creative globalization of movies is coming. Here, here's how you have to look at it. As I know it, growing up in America, most of the film business takes place in the United States and Canada, Western Europe and South Korea and Japan. By population, that's 20% of the world. Mm-hmm. So 80% of the world largely is excluded both from our revenues and from seeing movies. Technology now affords us the opportunity to get to them. You know, anyone has a cell phone anywhere in the world, you can show them a movie. So that now means 80% of the world or 5 billion people are rapidly coming online to watch movies. That's the future. Okay. Okay. So it's a whole new audience and it's a whole new industry in terms of the people working. I think so. Um, and I, I think you have started to do some of this work yourself. From my understanding, you often work with teams from around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, just doing a little bit of research, I heard a great story about the movie Bobbleheads and how through that there was a team from India and they were the ones who told you. And I didn't realize this too, that Bobbleheads originated in right. India. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that experience of working with people around the world? Sure. So when the pandemic started, and even a little before we were researching it, we started working with Microsoft and NVIDIA to build a network of digital animators in the cloud all over the world. And and it worked incredibly well, but we had some unexpected benefits. And one of the unexpected benefits is what I believe I learned about what I would call true diversity. Diversity is a big concept, certainly in America now and all over the world. But I think it's kind of wrong in the way people talk about it because it's usually limited to someone's skin color, which I think is incorrect. Diversity is everything, where you grew up, how you grew up, your parents, your psychological state, your socioeconomic condition, even a hot country, a cold country, are you rich, are you poor? All those things are culture. Mm -hmm. And what we found unexpectedly in building this great digital network, which is efficient and wonderful, is we found the culture of the places we have the digital artists. Nepal, India, started getting infused into the movies. And then diversity isn't a chore, it's fun. Mm -hmm. Because now it's a better movie because yes, bobbleheads, you know, big characters whose heads bobble, actually were invented in India in the 800s. And the Indian head bobble is a cultural thing they do. And the Studio Universal was very interested in how we're gonna have the heads bobble. And we find ourselves with a team of people as they're talking to us, their heads are bobbling. And we said, wait a minute. And they were incredibly helpful. So I think you can do that all over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I told you as I was just in Jordan, our old line producer from the last time we were in Jordan in one of the Mortal Kombat movies is, is, is still there and back again. And then just walking around scouting the locations, I made 15 changes in the script, simply seeing it from the Jordanian perspective. It's okay. fun. That's what I think the world is. And that's great. Okay. So in a way, your job is also international relations. And so you've, you know, <laughs> yes. worked in all these different countries. So you feel like you're continually learning about different cultures, perspectives. and Constantly. I'm fascinated by it. I'm constantly doing it. I think you have to do it. I think you have to be very careful as an American to not walk in and think you know everything. So I try and ask more questions and give more answers. But yeah, it's a constant thing. And I think a wonderful thing. 
You know, we're making, we haven't announced this, but we're, we're doing a movie about the Taj Mahal. The Taj Mahal, I won't get into it now because it'll take all day, but it's, it's everyone's heard of it. But the actual story behind the Taj Mahal, which is really well known in India, isn't known outside of India. And it's an incredible story. So we assembled this incredible team of, of musical talent, people behind Dirty Dancing and Jersey Boys and, and, and the chorus line to make a musical about that. And this is just great story just sitting there. Mm -hmm. Great stories hiding in plain sight if you're just willing to travel a little bit. Mm -hmm. Which reminds me that it's probably a really great opportunity with the International Student Film Festival. We've got students coming from around the I world know. and they're premiering films they've, they've worked on. And so are there tips that you have for students in terms of uh, looking to the, these other films and, and looking to these other cultures and sort of garnering fresh ideas for for um, the future of film. But I think you just said it. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, this is a great opportunity for, for all the students to meet each other and know, but I think the idea is to look to all these cultures and garner great stories because there are great stories everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think you just have to be willing to not think that wherever you grew up is the answer. It's just one of them. And I think the more you can meet and interact with and learn about and make stories from other cultures, I think the audience wants it. Remember what I said at the beginning, the audience wants the new and the different. That's why you need to swim against that current of the river of life that's going to pull you towards the middle. That's why you need creativity. Mm -hmm. The audience wants the new and the different, and it's very easy for everyone to get complacent. That mm -hmm. won't work. Mm -hmm. uh, the way you're talking, it's actually kind of reminding me of, so when I was on the Threshold Entertainment site and I was looking at um, some of the previous work and projects, um, you know, there's all these sort of film posters or project posters, and it's for like Lego or Star Trek or Spider-Man and these action-packed sort of films. And then in the middle, my attention went to this stark, minimalist, black and white poster um, for a documentary film called Mindfulness, mm -hmm. Be Happy Now. Right. Um, and... So just in terms of looking for the different, it, it, for me, it was really, really fascinating to see this canon of the work that you've done and then this particular project. And and so um, from my understanding, there's a pretty interesting story behind that documentary too. Yeah, so I'm a big believer in calling anybody and asking anybody anything anywhere in the world that you want. I think it's, I've been doing it since college. I still do it. And for one of the Mortal Kombat movies, I started reading about a Zen Buddhist monk named Thich Nhat Hanh. And I thought, you know, what do I do with this unbelievably well-known, nominated for Nobel Peace Prize, peaceful Zen Buddhist monk? I'll ask him to be inspiration for a character in my violent Mortal Kombat movies, my action-packed Mortal Kombat movies, I should say. And so I called him up originally for inspiration. And when I went to see him, after two hours of talking to him and some of the other monks and sisters, I felt like I'd been on vacation for a week. And I said, what's your secret? And he said, no secret, practice. I said, you mean I could learn this? And I became friends with them and I invited them to Hollywood to, and I had a big event for them where they could talk to a bunch of filmmakers, which went great. And I got really friendly with them and I started practicing mindfulness. So rather than them coming into Mortal Kombat, I started practicing mindfulness. And then they asked me to make a documentary about it. And I was just so, uh, uh, such a believer in his very simple philosophy, which is peace in yourself, peace in the world. So when you say, what should we do about whatever the political situation is, what do we, find peace in yourself. And if you do that, maybe you'll be nicer to the guy at 7-Eleven and he'll be nicer to his partner and it, that's it. And so I made the movie because I love it. So the, I think you have to be open to the unexpected. I called someone for, an, for inspiration in Mortal Kombat 
And I wound up practicing mindfulness, which I still do, and I'm still friends with the monks. Okay, okay. So but, it, by it, the way, we just finished another documentary. Tell me about it. I, I want to hear it yet. So, so it, I, I'm not really a documentary guy, but we found this is a crisis in women's sports um, uh, called the female triad, where if women, and we focused on women runners, we got the best runners in the world. If women run too hard without fueling correctly, they lose their periods, which used to be thought of as kind of a rite of passage, but it turns out to have incredibly bad health effects. And all you have to do to stop it is talk. In other mm -hmm. words, if you say to your, to your, team are you guys getting your periods and they are then they're fine and if they're not you can fix it with just by adjusting their running versus eating thing mm -hmm. and no one does it because they're afraid mm -hmm. to talk about it and mm -hmm. so when the people who are doing that brought it to me i thought this we have to help on this cause so this is real yeah so just talking and it's inter i know a little bit about the running world and there are huge issues with um women in high school right they, they tend to be really really good runners earlier on they'll go to varsity and there's, there's been an issue where um, it becomes all about the running and the health does become sort of secondary. And Well, that's, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. And, and because the notion that maybe, you know, well, if they don't have their periods, they'll run better. It isn't true because it leads to osteoporosis and it leads to depression. And so they, they get more injuries and they don't run as much. The movie's called Running for Their Lives, where we're just starting to premiere it and you press on it and, and soon it'll be on a network. But again, it's not usually my thing, but I, I, I just thought it was such an important topic. You know, in the United States, there's a big thing in American football because with concussions. And they've learned that football players get concussions, but you can't diagnose it until the person has died. This is completely different. You can stop this entire thing just by talking mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. So I guess, I, I guess it was about, I guess every five years or so, maybe I find a documentary that I just figure I could help with and I do it. But because okay. I think you have to try new things. But it, yeah, this is my second one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I can, so it gets back to that idea of mindfulness and the idea that don't bottle things up, talk about it, be aware of your thoughts. Um, well, because I, as I said earlier, I think people are just scared to be creative. I think they're scared to talk today. And, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe just a little bit we can help by, you know, getting things made and airing them and getting, we are starting to get a lot of press on this. So I think people are interested in the topic. Mm-hmm. So for you, um, they feel like opposites, but I can see how they go together too. This sort of touch of the madness, but at the same time, there's this sort of stillness and peace that you're, <laughs> you know. So, so do you think about them together and how they work yeah, together? Yeah, because at all? a touch of the madness doesn't mean you become a frantic cartoon character running into the walls. It, a touch of the madness means you, you are willing to take creative chances to to create the idea that's ideal for you to ask anybody anything for it. I, I also believe you have to try and live your life, especially in the film business, in a state of play. You have to try and have fun. You have to try and play it like a game. Doesn't mean you don't take it seriously. I think baseball players and hockey players and soccer players take it seriously, but it's still a game. And I, I think it just means it's a certain way to live with a little bit of crazy, not a ton of the madness, a touch of the madness. Okay. So I, I think, in fact, the monks will say, be still and know. If you meditate, you'll see what you need and then go get it. And with that clarity, you can have more madness, not less. Right, right, right. 
So it, is that something you recommend to, again, all our students at the festival is, you know, think about a touch of the madness, but also don't be afraid to sit with yourself and really think seriously about... I don't think they're contradictory. I think they're exactly the same because part of a touch of the madness is, for example, I was this, you know, I guess looking back when I met Thich Nhat Hanh, this probably somewhat more frantic version of myself. I still have a ton of energy, but being open to the fact that, wait a minute, I went to him for something, but in fact, I can learn something here. No, I think it makes um, you better. You know, I've also done a lot of, um, I spent a lot of time because of my movies with uh, uh, special forces people, some in Israel and some in the United States. And actually I find the two groups of people who have the most similar philosophies I've ever met are the Buddhist monks and the special forces. And you would think that's opposite, but they're really not. They both use incredible mind control in pursuit of peace. They just have different tactics. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by their minds too. The special forces have a saying, the US special forces have a saying, slow is smooth and smooth is fast, which is incredibly mindful. But they use it, you know, for tactical warfare versus painting. But it's still the same idea. It's still the idea that if you can calm and control and focus your mind, you can be more creative, you can be more mad, you can make better stories. It's all the same thing. And I wouldn't say I'm qualified to recommend to all your students, you know, be mindful or take up meditation. But I do think it's important that everyone figures out some practice of stilling their mind every day. What maybe it's having an ice cream cone or playing with your dog, which just works for me, but it's gotta be something because otherwise you'll be a frantic person and a frantic filmmaker, not a good filmmaker. Okay, okay. That's great advice. Uh, so you're you're here in Israel for about a week, mm -hmm. I believe. Um, so what's on the agenda uh, as part of the festival for you? Well, we have a million events at the film festival, which are exciting. Tonight's the opening night, which is great. And then every second that I'm not there, I do one of two things. One, I'm just always culturally fascinated. So I've been all over Israel. I went to Jerusalem last Sunday and I'm trying to go to Sfat next Saturday. But also I'm going to say hello to a lot of production companies because I just like to meet production companies all over the world. And we'll need one for when we shoot here and the ones I knew are no longer here. So I try and just everywhere in the world I go and try and meet film people. Okay. All right. Well, Larry, it, it's been an honor meeting you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your time and, and enjoy Israel this week. Thank you so much. 